0: Kids,
1: now gather around. Grab a log and sit right down. What's that smell? What's that sound? You're on fire, now hit the ground. It's the campfire shit show. And now, your camp counselors, Bo Hufford and Meryl Climo.
2: Hello, Bo. Hey, Merrill. Hi, listeners, slash friends, slash campers.
0: Good to have you back.
2: Yeah. Sorry, I just went to see, uh, the, or not I didn't go to see. But the show Netflix on Netflix called "You" is out right now. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Season it. three, it's like the stalker. Oh, and there was a really weird scene where he's like obsessed with someone, and he steals her bloody tampon, and I can't stop thinking about oh, that. Oh, gross! I know, but that has nothing to do with our guest today. Oh
0: my god, that's your segue?
2: Because this man is the opposite of <sighs> someone that would do that. And a woman that would leave her bloody tampon <laughs> behind. He's really actually esteemed in the industry. He he used to be our friend. Oh my god! He's the opposite of us.
0: I, I have to say, I do not support whatever you're doing right now. I'm just
2: saying. Picture that. That's fine. As an opposite.
0: I just thought we were gonna talk about We are our good friend Adam yeah. coming on the show. Who like
2: is a legit professional and
0: Yeah, has so many connections in the industry of television and film and it's just like that's how you start it. That's how I this started. This is you. This okay. is you. Uh,
2: ha, ha, that's me. Okay, and this is Adam. He didn't get a lot of love as a child. That's what his bio says. We can all relate to that. Yeah. And thus he craves laughter and validation of strangers. Oh, welcome.
0: <laughs> welcome to the family. <laughs> yeah.
2: Welcome to the family. After a 20 plus year career writing and producing for others, he brings his slightly skewed, very diseased take on the world to coast to coast, performing regularly at the world famous comedy store. OK, so then let's rewind before all this. He spent eleven years at M T V where he produced more than eight hundred episodes of TRL, Total Request Live, we all remember that, as well as three years of the star studded MTV New Year's Live. He was the youngest showrunner with On Air with Ryan Seacrest. He went to also showrun a string of successful series, including the Chelsea Handler Show, Nick Cannon presents Wild and Out, and he has written you'll love this for X Men, The Authority yes. and Batman.
0: Yes. He uh he seems like a nerd and I love that a super nerd, like, you know, like a nerd, you know, nerd is, the best, is such a great nerds thing. rule in 2020 yeah, nerds right? rule. Yeah.
2: Oh, and then now he also co-runs think factory media, which is a huge production company in Los Angeles. They produce a ton of reality shows, which yeah. I'm sure he will tell us about.
0: Yeah. Well, let's not waste any time, Meryl. Let's pull the string. Let's pull the string and get to it. Here is our good friend, Adam Freeman. <laughs> Hey welcome, good to have you here
1: Thank you for having me
0: Yeah
2: We noticed your impressive Halloween decor out front Yeah, you went all in And we you had wife. kids That's my oh. wife That's your wife? That's
1: my wife My wife, our garage solely exists to house all the different seasonal <laughs> You know, and I always said that that's going to be the irony that I die Is the Jew is going to die putting up the Christmas lights <laughs> oh, on the yes. trees outside yeah. I've already been electrocuted <laughs> Really? <laughs> is yeah. your
0: wife Jewish? No
1: Oh Just you? No I gotcha um, So Yeah She goes all out every season, and uh, she hates it because with the exception of Christmas, I refuse to help. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you help at Christmas? Um, Because I don't want her getting on a ladder and dying. I figure I'll get on the ladder and die. that's very sweet. And I know that... The rest of the season will be uh, horrible if I don't help. So <laughs> just break it's out like, in my own yeah. break it's out in the my own the, best the, the eggnog in the morning. Daddy yeah, doesn't care. It. yeah <laughs> it's in my and that's true because the kids love it. So yeah. your kids
2: get the best. I'm I'm Jewish as well. and Both my parents are Jewish, but I really always love celebrating Christmas with yeah. friends. And there's something special about that. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's great. We celebrated both growing up because my my mom had an aunt that had converted. So she grew up going to her house for Christmas. And it's also very hard. I had no Jewish friends growing up. So it was very hard to explain to like a five year old, like, why this Santa person, like, you're the <laughs> only person. Yeah, he doesn't the, like the, you. In, on the block that doesn't come to your house. So, oh, oh wait, man. Did, didn't that, you say you
2: grew up in Long Island, Doug?
1: Yeah, but my, I, my in a area. In a segregated area. <laughs> yeah, I going to say Island. the one block. I know, the one block on Long Island with no Jews. <laughs> oh man. I didn't have any Jewish friends. I went to my first bar mitzvah at like 40. My, no. so growing up son. you
0: didn't know you could be an overachiever or successful Yes, <laughs> you had to learn that later yes like wait
1: i'm jewish
0: <laughs> i'm gonna go be
1: rich exactly we're exactly. always upset about something Yes, i'm
2: like everything's going too well now i'm upset
1: <laughs> it's there is definitely an undercurrent of like um you, do you know do you know what anhedonia is Mm-mm. Anadonia, it was actually the original title for Annie Hall But Anadonia is like the inability to feel joy Oh, <laughs> oh really? <laughs> and I think that's a that's a strong through line in a lot of uh, families Jewish families yeah.
0: Do you feel that way yourself and in your family? Do you struggle with that?
1: I have a very hard time being present and enjoying the moment Always planning the next? Always planning the next or always feeling like I'm late for something. Oh. like even though I have no place to go sometimes. <laughs> um I think I'm Jewish. Yeah. There you go. But you really are late. I, a have, lot. I like, have Anadonia. Well it's funny I consider myself culturally Jewish because I have no Jewish training. I never went to temple. I wasn't bar Mitzvah, I wasn't anything but, you know, I I know not to eat, you know, milk with spaghetti and I love Mel Brooks. It's like <laughs> So it's like My best part. so yeah, so I'm like culturally Jewish. I think, not I think you're American Christian. I think there you was, go. I think that's go. what you are. But you there have you
2: like a, a gluten intolerance. That's the real. <laughs> Pro- probably. How's your intestines? <laughs> probably. Well, I'm now at the age
1: where I have that list of foods that don't agree with me. Oh yeah. yeah. So i have definitely be And becoming the old
2: It is so crazy
0: Like when you're young You're just eating everything It doesn't matter And now I'm like taking a test Where I have to poop into a a vial And I'm gonna send my blood off To find out like What am I allergic to It's like My my body's doing things Where I'm like There must be something wrong You know It's like God It's getting old Yeah
1: It's uh, When I hit my 30s So much changed Like I never wore glasses Until I was 30 Uh, I wasn't bald Until I was You know In my 30s I had I grew up with cats. My wife and I had two cats. I suddenly became allergic Ugh. to cats. <laughs> I became allergic to the cats I had. Wow. Like it was like because you know, they say every whatever year your body chemistry changes. Oh, seven years or something. I yeah. got asthma. I never had asthma before. Really? Like, what? Yeah, yeah, it all you just Getting older son. You
0: rejected life.
1: Yeah, yeah. My body was was turning on itself. I, <laughs> you know, I was literally my own worst enemy. I was, I was, you know. Well, I mean. That's how we know you're a stand-up, yeah. too. And yeah, I, yeah I was just going to say. Yeah, that's, yeah, I wanted
2: to tackle both because you're a performer and you're, you know, very big in the production world and the TV world and everything. So, and then there's also the, the thing. So, you were that at a certain time, you were the youngest showrunner correct for like
1: in, in at the time I produced a syndicated talk show I was the youngest showrunner producing a talk okay
2: show. can you i guess start with what is a showrunner for people that might not know
1: showrunner is um an executive producer but the executive producer that is hands on responsible for the show there are um a lot of people that have executive producer titles from network executives to production company executives to the star of the show to the stars manager or agent but the the person who is responsible for getting it on the air every day has is the showrunner as well
2: wow and what made you want to get into that
1: i always um wanted to be in movies or tv um from you know i'm one of those people that was very lucky that literally from the age of five or six, I knew what I wanted to do with my life, or at least I knew the field I wanted Mm -hmm. to be in. I wasn't one of those kids that was like in college for six years, wandering aimlessly. (laughs) At five years old, I made the decision I was going to be a stuntman.
2: Really? At five? (laughs) I watched The Fall Guy with Lee Majors. Oh,
1: God, I loved that show. And I was like, I'm going to be a stuntman because I get to play fight and jump cards and everything. Yeah. And then as I grew up and got common sense, I was like there's no way I'm lighting myself on fire <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I had already at that point fallen in love with movie making and TV making and my dad was just a huge pop culture junkie he, he mm. was a jazz musician movie aficionado he helped, at the time he always had the latest gadgets we were the first people to have a camcorder on our block oh. to have a VCR to have a DVD player to have so he had an old Super 8 camera so even at like 8 or 9 years old I started playing around and making like stop motion Dang, and everything. that's awesome so I was lucky that I had that stuff in the house to play with but I always knew I wanted to be telling stories or be in entertainment
0: that's awesome so how old were you when you finally got into it
1: um I got my first job my last semester in college I Got an internship at MTV in Manhattan. Nice. And I interned for that whole semester. And, you know, this was in the early 90s. Oh, what? I was just going to give it context. Because, yeah. like, yeah. that's
2: kind of when MTV was the, that's the coolest. Yeah. That's a hot moment. That's a hot moment.
1: Yeah. yeah. It was, at the time, it was cool to work at MTV. <laughs> Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, um, everybody was watching.
0: Yeah. Everyone was everybody. watching.
1: So I was interning and, you know, getting coffee and making photocopies and all that kind of stuff. And at the time in the country... The job market was horrendous. You know, um, even movies like Reality in Reality Bites that had come out like that summer when Ona Rider graduated from like Harvard and couldn't get a job. Uh-huh.
2: Like
1: so I was like panicked that I was gonna graduate and not have a job. So the last couple of months of the internship, I just became probably the most annoying fuck there because <laughs> I just kept hitting everybody up for a job for a job really for oh. a job. And then um, a couple of days before graduation. I got a call and was asked to be a PA slash van driver at this new thing that they were doing in the Hamptons called the MTV Beach House.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: And so I literally, the day after I graduated college, I drove to the Hamptons and was uh, drove a 15 passenger van for the, for most of the summer.
2: You were carting Daisy Fuentes around yes, or something? I was. Really?
1: Daisy Fuentes was one of the. Yeah. Yeah.
2: She's beautiful. I love yeah. all of it. I have <laughs> a funny Daisy Fuentes story. Oh, Tell please. us. Tell us. That's so, <laughs> what we're so here for. <laughs> one of my main
1: jobs was picking up the VJs at the MTV studio that was on 42nd and 10th or something and bringing them out to Quag or East Quag where the beach house was. So um, I would pick them up and I would always go the same route, you know, through the Midtown tunnel and out. Long Island, and I would pick up Daisy regularly, and she'd sit in the front seat of the van with me, and we'd always pass this same homeless guy at the entrance to the Midtown Tunnel that would have a sign <laughs> like, you know, please give me anything for food or whatever. He saw us so many times that by the end of the summer, when we, because you're in bumper-to-bumper traffic, so you're, cruising, yeah, you're not whizzing by this you're, guy. You're, you're having a conversation. <laughs> you're yeah, yeah it. it's like, hey, he can <laughs> yeah. walk alongside the car. <laughs> yeah. and be like, hey, how you doing? The one of the last. It was the end of the summer. He had seen us maybe 20 times and Daisy and I are driving and he sees us, puts down his sign and picks up another sign Yes, and it says, I don't want your money. And then he flips it over, and it says, "Just give me the woman."
2: <gasps> oh my gosh! And we had a good laugh. Oh, that's he, very funny. He
1: that's got, awesome. he got some money that day. Yeah. That's awesome.
2: So then, did you just pretty much make yourself indispensable at like at the beach house, and while you were
1: well, it's funny. It was, it was in my. It wasn't until my my last year, a couple of years of college, that like my strong work ethic kicked mm-hmm. in. I was one of those kids now, you know, I was diagnosed in my thirties as having ADD because when I was a kid, you were just annoying. Yeah. yeah. they didn't yeah. diagnose, you know? So looking back on it, you know, I was one of those kids that started out in a gifted program and then barely graduated, high mm-hmm. school, you know, cause I just didn't, I couldn't focus. That made me not care. Yeah. You know, I wasn't into drugs. I wasn't partying, but I would just skip class to go hang out with my friends at the pizza place. Like, right. So I barely graduated college when I got to college and, uh, I was a film and, and, and creative writing playwriting major. Um, and I was only had to study what I loved. Yeah. One of the things about, you know, people with ADD or ADHD is what they're interested in. They like hyper focus on. Mm-hmm. And if it's something like chemistry that they don't care about, you can't get them to focus
0: you and At I all. you and I are very, very similar. Yeah.
1: So once I was surrounded, you know, again, I'm going to date myself with the reference. but for me, going to college was like the blind melon. No rain video. Oh, if you yeah. remember that? Yep. Like the B girl. <laughs> yep. Because in my high school, I was one of the few kids. I got my ass kicked because I had an earring, because I had purple hair, because I had all this. I got to college and it was an arts college. And it was like I walked in and everyone had mohawks right. and nose rings. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I'm with my people. <laughs> so now I was surrounded with people that had my own interests that were just there to make art and and learn. And because you know we were in school, not working there was no commerce connected to the art mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah. so it was just making art for pure art's sake yeah. and that was where my work ethic kicked in so um yeah so i was really really diligent and worked really really hard as a pa i also um in a, i also got promoted because they felt it was uh, too dangerous for me to be driving
2: i love how i think the world works (laughs) because i i
1: crashed so many of the vans you did i actually got into an accident once with daisy Fuentes and her little cousin in the back seat um part of it was the fact that uh that I'm not the best driver. Mm-hmm. Another part of it was, as a PA, you work 24 hours for it. So yeah. I was constantly sleep deprived. Uh, like I'd be driving home on the LIE at two in the morning and be in the left lane and like blink and be on the shoulder oh of the right gosh. lane. Oh my god yeah, yeah. So part of it was that too. Um, but they knew that I was smart. They knew that I was a writer um, and wanted to be a writer. Um, they saw that I really uh, clicked with all the comedians that mm-hmm. had become vjs you know bill bellamy randy kagan at the time was there and all these people um paulie shore so oh. about halfway you know, halfway so through the summer they promoted me so i i did fail up like I, that you went from driving the van awesome. to i went them. from driving to they sent me back to the office in manhattan and i wrote uh i was part of the team that wrote all the scripts for the vjs oh that's the, awesome in the hamptons
0: you mentioned Pauly Shore, and I made this, you know, audible, ugh, because I want to know what it must have been like for you as a guy who, you know, considered himself funny at, le- at least, even if you didn't know you are going to be a comedian at that time, mm-hmm. like being around a person at that time who was, uh Sort of a social phenomenon Yeah Right Very much If you look at videos From back then You're like How did this person Become famous mm-hmm. In some way And then This is brilliant In another way it Really touched The teenage mentality At that yeah. time Right Yeah What was it like To be around him Was he that personality All the
1: time Polly is um, He's a great guy And his personality On stage And the buddy Yeah that Is really It grew out of him Organically So it's not like you know, Paul Rubens, who created this whole Mm -hmm. separate character. Sure, Paulie on stage is like Paulie off stage, like times 10. Now that he's now that he's gotten older, like we all have, he's you know, he's mellowed a little bit. And he's and like most comedians, he's not cracking jokes, but uh, 24 seven. Right. But the person you saw on camera was a exaggerated version Mm -hmm. of, you know, it developed organically. He didn't have this. As far as I know, this conscious decision of i 'm going to create the weasel, and i 'm going to whatever, and he also is one of those people that when you talk to him, his mannerisms his his speech pattern he's just naturally funny, mm-hmm. even if what he 's saying is not funny, right his delivery and like he his like the way he giggles to himself he 's just funny
0: who inspired you the most as as a comedian like growing up I, I mean because usually everyone's like prior. Murphy, yeah. Cosby.
1: It's hard to say who inspired me. I just became obsessed with stand-up comedy at a very, very young age. Mm-hmm. Um, my my dad was a huge fan of comedians, and we had tons and tons of stand-up records in the house. So That's we so had, awesome. We had... Uh, we had... Flip Wilson we had Robert Klein we had all the Bill Cosby records we had and I was more it's funny because going back and listening to those records now I realized that I was too young to even get half of the joke sure I think I was just so enamored with the fact that somebody could get up there and just with their words Mm -hmm. like make an audience yeah command an audience Mm -hmm. um and the very best comedians you know when, they, when they're doing their act, it always sounds like it's the first time I know that it came out of their mouth. So you're listening to rock, you know, so you, as a little kid, I thought, oh my God, they're just getting up there and riffing and <laughs> yeah, talking yeah. and look at what they're able to do. And um, so I had like Steve Martin on eight track, like I had, you know. That's amazing. Um, so there wasn't like one comedian that I really gravitated to. I just was more infatuated with the the art form.
0: Okay, so you're in TV, you're on MTV. How many years do you do that? 11. 11 years?
2: And that's including show running for total TRL,
1: right? That, yeah. So, so I just that's the you went from
0: a guy who cr- crashes vans to yeah. running TRL. Yeah. at yeah. its very highest highlight. Yeah. That's I'm fucking the, rad. I one of the
2: huh? girls that would come home and be like, "Oh my god, Carson." And <laughs> yeah, then were I mean, you like on it? Like did they show you?
1: I wasn't on TRL a lot. I was on before TRL. I would I produced a show called um, Alternative Nation with Kennedy. Okay. Oh yeah. Kennedy Montgomery who's now on Fox News, and I was on that. I was on that show a lot because we. They would like show you, show you. On the on on Alternative Nation, I was on once in a while. We would do. Viewer mail segments and skits and stuff. Okay.
2: Because so I showed my boyfriend your picture and he's like, I've seen him before. And I'm like, no, you're thinking of Matt Pinfield. And I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. He's like, no, I've seen him before. I'm sure of that. No,
1: <laughs> I don't think I was on enough that you would recognize Okay, me. I don't know. I, when I did the syndicated show with Ryan Seacrest, I was I was on Maybe almost so every nice. day. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Just because um, I was on the, you know, like I, if, if you ever, again, I'm dating myself, but when there was Regis and Kathleen their executive producer was this guy, Gelman. Oh, yes. yeah. They'd like they constantly he to him, like, talked to. So yeah. I was like Ryan's Gelman. he like would like shake your head, yes, no, or like, something. They were always something. cutting over to me or he would pull me out and embarrass me or whatever. Or <laughs> really? He, he would talk to me because he didn't at first we didn't he didn't have like a sidekick Mm -hmm. so he would ask me how was your weekend or what did you get your wife for mother's day but i love i
0: love breaking that fourth wall i love that connection because as a viewer you go like these are just people instead of like these are i was a
1: huge huge letterman fan Mm -hmm. from when i was little and the fact that you had biff the stage manager and you had the cue card guy who actually just passed away and you had you know, well, Paul was the band leader. It was different, but you, you know, and then I was a huge Howard Stern fan. And the fact oh, yeah. that like any intern could become a character and any, you know, Ralph, the, the wardrobe guy was a character and, yeah. uh, and Baba Bowie. So when I got to MTV, I think I not so subconsciously was always trying to recreate that kind of environment. So at TRL, there were, we had a lot of staff members that you did see a lot, not me. I was in the control room, but I we always tried to break that fourth wall, and we made a boy band out of just staff members, <laughs> and shot a video. And <laughs> Carson introduced them, and like uh. fun stuff like that. So
2: being know. a showrunner for that must have been interesting because that's notoriously there have been moments where it went like off the rails. Were you working during the Mariah Carey?
1: I was there that day. <gasps> Are yeah. you fucking kidding? Yeah. So g- you tell wanna us hear that you want to hear that. Yes, story? yes, yes, yes. I'm gonna <laughs> cry. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. So yeah.
1: so that day started at like eight a.m. or so. I'm at my desk. And I get a call from security downstairs and they say, um, there's someone here with a package for you. And I say, okay, we'll send it upstairs. They say, we can't. I say, why not? And the security guard says, well, we don't allow live animals in the building. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I go down to security and there's, <laughs> there's a kid, an assistant or a PA, and he's standing there. And he has a bottle of Cristal and he has a live baby lamb. And he says, these are from um, Mariah. Um, it's a gift. Thank you for having her on the show today. She was going to be on that afternoon.
2: Okay. <laughs> what? the fuck?
1: And I was like, well, I'm not taking the lamb, but thank you for the champagne. He said, no, I have to give you both. I said, well, and the security guard's like, you can't have this animal in here. So the guy leaves. He takes the champagne. He takes the lamb. <laughs> I go back up to my desk. About four hours later, there's a knock on my office door, and I open it, and it's that kid holding the Cristal in a lamb costume, uh, looking, <laughs> looking like like Ralphie wearing the bunny suit on Christmas morning yeah, yeah. <laughs> that his aunt made, and he's standing there miserable, and he's like, this is for Mariah. Thank you for being on the show today, and handed me the bottle of crystal. <laughs> now, I also want to keep in mind, she was giving it to the showrunner. Like, Mariah doesn't know who the hell I am. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, like, yeah. Give Adam or whatever. But yeah. it, was, it was just for the showrunner.
0: And you still own that kid today, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, <just> um, <laughs> so he was like miserable. So then, so then we go downstairs for the show and Mariah shows up. And um, I once I started doing TRL um, and I had a large staff, I very purposely hardly ever interacted with the talent. Because from doing Alternative Nation, from doing 120 Minutes with Matt Pinfield, those shows, there were just like three people. It was like me and like I had a PA mm-hmm. So we did everything. And interacting with the bands and the talent quickly became my least favorite part of the job. Ah. Because most of the time, either they were assholes uh-huh. or their manager mm-hmm. or agent or label rep was an asshole. A lot of egos. A lot of egos. It's the
2: heyday of like people coming in, I like, imagine wearing sunglasses and drunk and, you and, know.
1: Yeah, just difficult for difficult say. Totally, or, yeah. And it so... You, I, you know they say don't meet your heroes like mm-hmm. I learned the, the sheen going to MTV and going oh my god I'm gonna be surrounded by so and so 90% of those people are dicks so <laughs> once I got to TRO and I had a really large staff I hardly ever interacted with the guests I sent my producers to to do that yeah Um, and I would just it also worked out well because I was able to be the bad cop in emergencies. So if they were having a hard time, then I could come in. And if I came in, it was like, oh, the boss is coming yeah. in and it's special. Whereas right. if I was the person, I'd have to go above me to get somebody to come. You yeah, know? yeah, right. yeah. So my producers in the green room prepping Mariah. And they come out and they're like, Mariah wants to talk to you. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. And so I go in there. And she's very, very nice, very sweet. But she was... She was off Mm -hmm. and she was talking to me and she was really not making any sense. And she was going like, okay, so I'm going to put out the leg, the leg, the leg. You're going to get the leg. I'm going to do this and then ice cream. And I'm like, what is she talking about? (laughs) And, and (laughs) it went from being funny to being like a Uh little, she needs like like, mental health. A little, a little, you know, Mm concern. I finally realized that she was trying to tell me when she walked out, she wanted us to pan up her leg. And show and show off her body Do like a toe to head uh-huh. You know like mm-hmm. tilt up And then the ice cream part That she was babbling about Was she wanted To wheel out An ice cream cart And give out ice cream To the okay. kids In the, in the audience Uh huh To which I look over And there's The fucking kid sitting there Who had the lamb Outfit on previously I'm like now this schmuck Is gonna have to run out And find an ice cream cart <laughs> With like a half hour's notice. <laughs> like I felt so bad What if we kid. podcast with him Later this afternoon Yeah I- Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we we had a quick huddle i i talked to her label people i'm like is she okay like yeah she's just exhausted Mm -hmm. she's fine she'll be fine she'll be fine and then she went out there and really did not make a lot of sense and And if you watch it she's a little off she the kid got the ice cream cart kudos to him he's probably running a label now or right (laughs) she she brings out the ice cream cart and she hands ice cream to people and she but she's not completely there and then i think i don't know I could be getting my facts straight because it's been, I mean, facts incorrect because it's been so long, but either that night or the next day, there was something where she was in a hotel room, and I can't remember whether they thought she tried to harm herself. Oh, Oh, no, no. really? And she she, uh, went away to get help. Mm -hmm.
0: So I don't know the situation, and I don't remember this this moment in time. Uh, Did
1: on YouTube it's, you can look it She up. just
0: was like Way off Yeah
2: Us conspiracy kids Would come to call it Like an MK Ultra breakdown But, but it sounds oh. like Behind the scenes It wasn't that It was just a, a Lamb and ice cream breakdown <laughs> But um, I don't
1: know whether I cannot speak to Whether it was substances Or whether it was yeah. Exhaustion yeah. Or, or something else
0: But I can't imagine Like I, I barely I feel like I barely Have enough time In a day To do stuff sometimes Yeah but when you're Mariah Carey and you're on live TV and you're releasing an album and everybody wants something from you and blah, 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 it seems like... That every minute very... of your day is planned yeah. out. Yeah, was so exhausting. From A
1: to B to C to D to E to F. Yeah, because
2: right. yeah, I feel like TRL, that's a perfect example of that. That show definitely seemed like it did have moments where it was like, oh, this isn't... Not that it wasn't going smoothly, but it seemed like it was because you are dealing with artists so much so that anything can happen. Well, it's,
1: it's live TV. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. you know, the show... You know went on at 3.30 You go on at 3.30 Because it's time to go on You don't go on because the show is ready Right Yeah So right. Oh, you know so we had We had all of wu on While <laughs> ODB was being hunted by the police And he came on We're like you know the cops are gonna know where you are This is a live <laughs> TV show There's 20 cops outside doing right. crowd control Right He came on the show And then slipped out the back door As the police came in the front door really? To arrest him Shut so, up So it's you know it's live and that and that was really exciting you know um, because you didn't know what was gonna happen so I grew to really love live TV
0: that's awesome Um, after that you go on to really be the showrunner on a lot of stuff and then start to you started a company right or I was one of the one of the first like founding what's the name of that company it's called think Factory Media And so you guys put out all types of shows on TV Yeah. and how much of that are you dreaming up or are you just going like, yeah, that sounds amazing.
1: Well, it, it, the ideas come from, you know, everywhere. So the company before it was called think factory media, it existed in a couple of different iterations, but it was only like two or three people. And then I came on to run a show that they had already sold and produced one season of called Gene Simmons family jewels. Yeah. And they brought me on to produce that and I did it for the next like eight, Seasons or so, and God, he all, seems based off the. Oh, I have se- a million gene stories. God, story he history. seems. Oh my like,
2: gosh, I to have like ten episodes with you. But
0: honestly, he just seems like a guy that like you could hang out with for ten minutes and be like, "What the fuck just happened?"
1: He yes and no because uh he has very distinct compartmentalized parts of his life. When he's home, he's very much the family guy wearing footy pajamas, mm-hmm. watching yeah. old black and white movies while chaos goes on around him. <laughs> when he is on tour, he is Mr. Rockstar, and you see his personality change there. When he's in his business mode mm-hmm. and he's he's doing all you know that entrepreneurial stuff, yeah. he has a different kind of demeanor. And they're all him. They're not facades, mm-hmm. but it's very compartmentalized. Is it, is it, was it hard to work with someone like that for the first season that I did the show, the family, not Nick, but Gene Shannon and Sophie, um, hazed me pretty bad. Really? Yeah. They hazed me pretty bad. Um, and I weathered that storm and then it went from them constantly giving me crap to, uh, to they wouldn't work with anyone else. What's well, like so, the hardest thing they did, did to you? Well, um, it wasn't like, it was more just obnoxious stuff. Oh, I okay. you was know? being Gene, difficult. Gene, it was more like pranks. Okay. Mm. Gene, like we filmed at SeaWorld and Gene kept slipping like dead fish in my pocket You know? <laughs> it was that more like pranks. Level, like that. Shannon and Sophie were more rude and, you know, made fun mm-hmm. of my weight or I was oh. bald or, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, And then it, over the years, I was with them for, you know, six years, seven years. Like it went from that to, you know, they came here for my 40th birthday party. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, it's like bring presents for my kids. And I still I was texting with Shannon yesterday. She just uh, she like broke her foot or sprained her ankle. Um, so it went from one extreme to the other, because then as we, off the success of that show, we were able to expand mm. the company and start to develop and sell other shows and we kept trying, as the company grew, um, my role was growing, but any producer we brought in to fill my spot on Family Jewels didn't last very long. Because mm. um, they would haze them, mm-hmm. like they haze me, and the right. person would either quit, or they would demand, you know, where's Freeman, we want him back. Right. So it wasn't until that show finally went off the air that I was able to take on a full, larger role at the company.
0: So what are just to give our listeners an idea what are some of the shows that you've had kind of gone through that uh that system your company
1: Oh my gosh um seems like a lot over the years yeah i mean i can't you know the our two longest running shows um are both on we tv one's called marriage boot camp that the season 16 actually just premiered last week um uh mama june from not to hot with mama june and honey boo boo <laughs> we're shooting yeah. season six right now five or six from right from not now. to hot from not to hot well because in the first season she got weight loss surgery oh. and lost like 200 something pounds hmm. um so those have been long running for you know a while but we did um you know million million dollar matchmaker Millionaire was patty we did patty's second show oh my gosh so that's the first so cool. one was millionaire matchmaker and then i think we ours was called million dollar match oh. it was a different format but it was still okay. patty mm. we did you know on the comedian side we did uh we did a reality show with simbad and his family um which was a lot of fun for most of it um <laughs> You know, we did. Um, then we did a show with David Letterman called Live Weddings, where every week was a live wedding. We've oh done, my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> We've you can done. handle anything. Your so you're, skill mostly, you're mostly. Well, but that comes from MTV. That was yeah. the beauty of MTV yeah. was, you know, the way networks work is production. Usually, production companies come up with a show, they bring it to the network. The network says yes, we'll buy it, and the production company makes it for the show. Hmm. When I was coming up, and that's how MTV works now. Mostly, when I was coming up at MTV everything was done internally. Mm. We were all staff producers. With the exception of like The Real World and Beavis and Butthead. Almost everything else in the channel was produced by the same like 17 people. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So um I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize the education I was getting. But every show I did was completely different. Yeah. So I would do a, a concert show. I would do a documentary. I would do a news special. I would do a game show. I would huh. do... You just got assigned to wear. I mean, the whole reason that I did TRL was because they said, "Who knows how to do live TV?" And no one raised their hand. And I was like, "Well, I'll learn." And I started doing live, you know, TV. So that's amazing. um, So it it served me really well when I got out here and realized there was a world outside of MTV, and that's not how things are done. Mm -hmm. Mm. So I, I, I think part of you know, if you can call whatever I've had success, is I is that I'm. Able to wear a lot of different hats, and I'm fluent in a lot of different genres. Yeah, where most people, you know, their first job is on American Idol, and then they come up in the ranks there, and then they're they're seen as the singing competition person. Yeah, and they do The Voice and American Idol and America's Got Talent, and no, and they right. stay in that genre. It's
0: got to be a lot of burnout in that. It seems I like would,
1: I would, yeah, I I guess, but so we've been very lucky between myself. Um, You know, my partner, Adam Reed, who's the the CEO of Think Factory now, um, he comes from from originally from advertising and like branded content. So between us and our old CEO, the founder of the company, Leslie Greif, who came from scripted, he created Walker, Texas Ranger and like all these things. Nice. The three of us together as the creative heads of the company had done almost every single genre out Mm. there. So it served us really well, because if you looked at our slate, we had Gene Simmons Family Jewels, but we also had you know, rookies and female forces, these two cop shows on, you know, Mm -hmm. so we were doing crime over here. We did, that got us to do dog, you know, some shows with dog, the bounty hunter. So that was over here. But then we did a, basically a sitcom with Sinbad and we did a live show with, you know, so it's like, Hmm. it was, it's, it's, it served us really well.
0: So I wanted to ask you about uh, the Chelsea Handler show. Yeah. Because you worked on there. Were you with the showrunner on that?
1: On the, the first season and a half or so, before it became Chelsea Lately, it was a show called The Chelsea Handler Show.
0: So then that brings me to a segment that we have, which is called The Camper of the Week, which mm-hmm. is just a question that someone else has kind of written us. Yeah. And so when uh, telling people that we were coming to meet you, uh, I have one question for you, and that is, is Chelsea Handler a cunt? <laughs> that's that's an actual
1: <laughs> question
0: from a viewer.
2: <laughs>
1: the the pregnant pause, you know, and I've never, I've never really, you know, talked about this, you know, publicly. Um, we were talking before the, the podcast about how, uh, I've been in this business a while and I've been very lucky and bucked the odds as far as having great experiences and meeting great people. And, um, when I started working on the show and first started working with Chelsea, it was, uh, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. she was, she was, uh, she was great. We became really close or I thought really close, you know, off camera. Um, I was not only working with her really closely on the TV show, but because we got so close, you know, she, people don't remember. She was a correspondent. She used to do man on the street stuff for the tonight show with Mm Jay Leno, as did Ryan Seacrest ironically. Um, so I would go to the tonight show with her and me, her and Jay would sit in the green room and work out what the bits were going to be and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, the show was growing. It hadn't become Chelsea lately, but she was slowly growing. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we had plans to go on and work together and promises were made. And then, uh, you know, and then I was dismissed. Dang. And, uh, yeah and it was it was ugly so i i'm not one to hold mm-hmm. grudges and everything i will admit that she is one of the 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 people that when i see her on social media i see i get a little like hang mm. you know yeah it seems then, like
2: hollywood needs a support group for like those have been wrong <laughs> because we hear that we've had one other podcast guest that wrote for her and then kind of had a bad falling out and then for, we've heard from that from what, a what lot, i
1: understand like, and and i've also heard that she's had some come to jesus mm-hmm. and she's a very different person now i don't i don't know i haven't talked to her in years um i saw her once or twice after all that went down because Jean was a guest on her show <laughs> and i was doing gene's oh. show wow so i saw her once or twice after that um but from talking to other people that have been in her life at that time, from what I understand, she had a pattern of getting really, really close to people that could, you know, help mm-hmm. her and then moving on. And then yeah. moving on. So I found out that, um, you know, my story was very similar huh. to uh, a couple of other people's stories, you know? So
2: it sounds like she w- admits that too. Like from what I've I, seen
1: I, I guess I just, you know, I, I, she's, she's one of the few people, I think just because I thought whether correctly or incorrectly, I thought we had become good friends mm-hmm. and I thought we had a, uh, you know, a connection and I was looking forward to, to working with her a lot more. It really was when it was good. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I had so much fun that it felt like a personal betrayal and whether that's uh. just me reading into it and my own, maybe it was always business for her. Yeah. I don't know. We've never spoken about it, but, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, that one, that one stings a little bit. I've yeah. never talked about that. Oh, more.
2: wow. Well, thank you for telling us. It Exclusive. is Exclusive. Yeah, it is <laughs> funny too. Cause I find myself kind of, I don't, I'm not the biggest fan. I respect, you know, the comedy aspect of her mm-hmm. and what she's able to do, but there's a part of me that's us like, even just, you know, the person wrote in cunt and bitch and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I feel like guys do that all the time. And is there some type of like, if a man acted the same way, but I also think yes, we would hold them accountable because guys can also just be
1: dicks, and we'd say oh, that guy's well, like a social climber. She's well, she's she's a comedian. And yeah. comedians, regardless of your gender, are are ball busters. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So she likes to get reactions. Yeah. Also, yeah. her her humor when she's bouncing off people is on the mean side, mm-hmm. and there are people like Don Rickles that are mean and pull it off, and then there are people that come across as just mean yeah you know? there's right. a there's a famous clip on youtube where she was on conan and she she dissed uh andy richter and he came back oh and it was yeah. like yeah it was something about like his weight or like, something yeah right? she made a joke about his weight oh, about really? like do you float or whatever and he's like well you probably sink because of your cold cold heart oh. yes yes it was yes. just it was he he got her back so good and he yeah. saw her like But that's what, you know, the first time I ever met Chelsea, the owners of the production company that were doing the show, uh, I had done a previous show for them and they thought I would be right. So they're like, well, let's go out. You know, Chelsea obviously has to meet you. Let's go out to dinner. So we went out to dinner and we got there first. So it was me and the two of them sitting there. And then Chelsea came in and she sat down. And the first thing she said to me, the first words out of her mouth that she ever said to me was, "Um, uh, so how long have you had a weight problem? Really? And I, but she did that. I think she was hazing me because she wanted to see whether I would be offended. Yeah, and yeah. you know. But um, it,
0: but it, 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 to me, it's like, but at what limit? Like, is that that's where you are in your life? Where you go? Like, this is how I know somebody could take a joke is if I demolish them or, yeah. or try to. I think
1: I think she at the time, like I said, I don't know who she is today. Sure. I think she she liked to bust balls, which I totally get. I think she also like she liked to get a rise out of people and she liked to see whether you would rise to the occasion or whether you, yeah. would, you would snap, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so she said that to me and I can't remember what I said back to her. I was like,
0: Are you like, as, well, you probably sink cause you have a cold, cold heart. <laughs> I, I said,
1: I said, I don't remember what I said. I said something like, or maybe I can't remember whether I, as long as you've been, fucking guys in alleys or something. oh my god yeah. <laughs> and she was like he's the guy oh i like that <laughs> and so obviously like that's what she wanted she yeah. wanted to know is this guy gonna stand up to me or am i gonna walk all over oh god him? Right, right. um you know so
2: it doesn't do it for me life's too short i'm like i i don't need if, to invest was, in people like that it's if weird. it was
1: if it was today mm-hmm. the person i am now 15 16 years later or whatever it is, um. I would. I still would not be offended because it takes a lot to offend me. Yeah. I would more see the red flag of like, okay, I'm not playing these games. Yeah. Right. Right. Um. But at the time, I was young. I was, you know. Sure. I wanted,
0: well, like, and you're sitting in a situation where you see a potential of something amazing about to happen, right? Like we we find ourselves putting up with a lot more in a moment like that when yeah. it's like, oh, this could be the next great thing. Yeah. Ha ha! This is just the way it goes. Yeah. 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 Hmm. So, so on, oh
2: yeah, no, no please. I was just gonna say, on the flip side, it seems like you've worked with um, Ryan Seacrest before, and that's someone who I feel like he gets it. Maybe my perception of him is off, but like I picture him as super, super hardworking and just really keeps his head down and works so hard. And I feel like he gets a ton of flack. Like people just seem to make fun a, of him. He and,
1: gets a ton of Ryan is a great, great guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. Okay, good. I, I don't know anyone to. that works harder. Um, I don't know anyone that treats his his people better. Um, he's the reason that my family and I live out here. Really? You know, he hired me away from TRL to produce mm-hmm. his talk show. So, um, my whole life out here, I owe to, you know, to Ryan. Really? Secrets. Um, and I haven't talked to him in years either because obviously he's like the busiest person uh-huh. on it. Um, but he was great to work with and he was definitely, and still is, but he, back then he definitely was a punching bag. People were obsessed with whether he was, Gay or not, yeah. Which I don't know why. That I do remember mattered. that time, yeah. and it was right around the time that like metrosexual was being coined, oh, yeah, which is why people always questioned him, yeah. You know, because he had frosted tips on his hair, yeah, and, and like beautiful liked, teeth. Well, and and he's a good looking, he had, looking guy. He he's in shape. And yeah. yeah, and he's you know, Um, but he never like he he actually played into it because I think at a certain point he knew that that the 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 guessing was keeping him in the global conversation. Ah, yeah. right. So he never, you know, he would come out and say, No, I'm not gay, but he would never like stamp his foot and be like because it wasn't it's not an insult. Yeah. yeah like yeah. people would yeah. say, Oh, you're gay, like he was supposed to be insulted. And he was like, I'm not, but if I was, okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, your your sexual preference is not is not
0: Can you even imagine that conversation happening today? No. There's no way. People would like people would chew those right, those questions up those people, and they'd be yeah. like, Yeah, no, we're not having that.
1: It's so amazing. No, that's true so but no, he's a, he's a great guy. Yeah.
0: Um, that must feel like summer camp. The way you're describing your job, it's like you go, you work on these projects, you get close with these people and then it's like, okay, well it was nice to meet you yeah, yeah. and see you later. And then these are people that you worked with. Every well, that's day. why Hollywood
1: marriages never work out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause they fall in love on set and then they go back to the real world and they're like, Oh, that was just a, yeah, I was
0: just a trailer was, away before. Yeah, and now exactly. Yeah. And now
1: I have to live with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know it. There are some friendships that have endured. Like I said, I was texting with Shannon, you know, yeah. Tweed yesterday. Um, not that you know we're BFFs, but we we sure. keep in touch and stuff. Um, I still talk to Polly um, every couple months. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it usually depends on how it ends. Yeah, you know. So like here's a perfect example. So so the the show I did with Ryan Seacrest um, started out. You know, really great, and then it struggled in the in the ratings, oh. and everyone there's a lot of money on the line, so everybody started to panic. The station groups, the you know, 20th Century Fox was the was the were the producers, and that is usually the time when people's real um, personalities come out because they either circle the wagons or they start to turn on each other. Yeah, and we were getting so much pressure, and we were having booking wars with Ellen and with Jay Leno and having guests cancel on us at the last minute, which when you do live TV is not a good thing. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, um, mm-hmm. and it was a really, really high pressure situation. And Ryan never once, uh, pointed a finger at me or at my, uh, partner at the time, David Armour who was the other executive producer. Um, we didn't eat ourselves, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, but sometimes on shows when things are going bad, it starts to be... You know, usually the executive producer is the first person to go. Yeah. Um, whether it's his or her fault or not, it's they need to make a public showing <sighs> uh-huh. that there's a right. change. We've
0: done something.
1: So, yeah, we exactly. Um, so I've had shows that when things started to go bad, um, you know, the the talent wants to distance themselves from you. And that affects your relationship afterwards. Sure. Other, times mm. it, other times it ends great, but you just aren't in... Proximity to each other anymore, and you drift apart like summer camp. It's a great analogy.
0: So, uh, so clearly, in a lot of these situations, you're in the back end, you're behind the scenes, you're sort of like helping write ideas, but mostly managing these crazy, you know, machines. Uh, but then you make this switch, and now you're in this new world of you've become a comic, yeah, where you're on the stage, you're had of this whole thing. How how did that happen? How did you get from point A to point B? And what's the biggest difference for you in that?
1: Um, well, I like I said, I've always been in love with stand-up comedy. And um realizing I realize now looking back on it that because I was so enamored of it and I was so impressed by the people that did it, I was too precious about it. Like, I always thought, and because of my own insecurities, I always thought, well, that's something that special people yeah. like that do. Yeah. I'm not like that. Right. And because yeah. I was always a behind-the-scenes person, and I, you know, when I wrote and stuff, that kind of scratched that itch for a while. I was comedy adjacent. I was writing for Chelsea. I was writing, right. you know, for other people, whatever it may be.
0: Um, so that, that gave you validation that you're funny. It gave me valid. But gave you didn't me- have to put yourself completely out there.
1: Right. Right. Um. And also as a producer, I'm used to making TV shows for a buyer and producing what a network wants or whatever. So I found it easier to slip into Chelsea's voice or slip mm-hmm. into, you know, to write for someone, cause I was, I'm used to having to be malleable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I didn't have my own voice, I but I could write jokes for Chelsea and stuff. And, you know, and then the first time it hit me was actually after the Chelsea thing fell apart because. I saw one of her, it wasn't a special. I think it was just a YouTube video, maybe that someone shot of her on tour. And she was doing some of the jokes that I wrote for her from the show. She was doing this Angelina Jolie bit and some other things, which is fine. I wrote them for her, they're hers. But I was like, well, I respect her as a comedian and she obviously feels that, that bid is good enough to like perform every night on the road. So that, that was a little bit of a confidence boost, you know, and to see like
2: your material working in real time. It's like, wow,
1: that's crazy to see like your stuff working through someone else. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well maybe I, you know, okay. That was at least like some validation. So that was, so that was good. Um, and then to your point, the more my role grew in the company, the more I stopped being the hands-on nuts and bolts guy and more the manager of the nuts and bolts people. Yeah, And I'm, I am someone that is just driven to create. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't mean that what I create is good or not. I'm not speaking to the quality of it. I'm speaking to, I have this drive to create things. If I'm in a restaurant, I'm making a paper airplane out of the receipt. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, you know, I've, Written and I'm not bragging. It's just things that mm-hmm. I that I've done. I've written comic books. I've you know, I I have T-shirt designs. I've put on Redbubble because I you know I always mm-hmm. wanted to be an artist. Like I've just I'm always like making my interest. I'm not knitting. I don't play tennis. Yeah, right. My my passions tend to be making something. When, like I said, irrelevant of the of the quality of it. Um, so I was missing that. Yeah, and it was. New Year's Eve a few years ago, and I was making, all you know, thinking about a bunch of resolutions that I would never carry out, <laughs> like most of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what it was, but something finally clicked, and I was like, okay, this coming year, I am going to do, I'm going to get on stage and perform stand-up.
0: At what age are you at this time?
1: Oh, my gosh. I was 46, 47. Good right?
2: for you. I love hearing that's, that. That's It's never awesome. too late to, like, even just start it or Well, whatever. and I was like,
1: I don't know. Even if I just do it once, yeah, it's like yeah. a bucket list thing. Yeah. Like I, I want to be able to say that I did it and that, you know, so, um, uh, so that was New Year's Eve. And then I, I did an open mic at a flappers in Burbank, I think in March.
0: Fuck you. That's awesome. <laughs> and, um, that's awesome. Cause that's, do- that's a big hill to climb. I mean, you have to have a change of mind.
1: I had to have a change of mind. I had to realize I had to write for myself. So I had to yeah. realize mm-hmm. what I, what do I have to say or what's my point of view on things? I'm not, you know? Yeah. Um, so I did, uh, you know, three minutes at an open mic. Yeah. Um, I think I got one laugh and it wasn't <laughs> where I was expecting to get, a laugh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, but I got back to my car and I was, and I knew I didn't do well but I was beaming because I was like, all right, I fucking did it. You did it. Like yeah. I, yeah. I considered just stepping on the stage as the victory. Yeah. yeah. But it did not go well. And <laughs> but open I, mics are so weird too. I've, yeah. I've well, stopped judging and, open mics. And cause... that, and, and look, and I love Josh and the people at flappers cause they booked me on their shows. The open mic at that time that I did was, was, and I'm not a fan of mics in general, yeah. which is, I, I know a big, a big, uh, debate. Um, it has to be the right open mic, mm-hmm. and that open mic was a was in the bar. It was packed, but it was all other comics going over their notes. Mm-hmm. Sure, it was well. Somehow, if I laugh at him, that means that he's funnier yeah, than me. And I'm, yeah. It was like a competition. It was just yeah, very, very strange. That's the yeah. problem with it. Right? And yeah, and also, you know, open mics. It's an open mic. You're going to get people who you see and you go, wow, there's really a spark of something there. And you're going to get the homeless guy from under the bridge that wandered in off the street. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and just is like, oh, my God, this guy might be dangerous. He's just babbling. Yeah. You know, so you get a whole mixture. So you start to tune out when the quality is so bad. Yeah. You know, Um, the people that show up and I've seen people show up and they're just like,
2: so what should I talk about today? And I'm like, oh, my God, it takes balls to do that, that I, I couldn't like. That's next but level you know, to Just
1: stand in front of people And be like I actually don't have anything I just wanted to talk What the open mics did for me Besides just getting me used To being on stage And and I also want to stress That by no means Do I think I am like Above them Or anything I just have to figure out In my process What works for me Yeah And I found a few open mics That work for me Because it's It's a supportive group mm-hmm. And if I get a laugh there I know it's a real laugh And if I don't get a laugh I know it's not Sure I know it's not funny um, But You know, up until going to those open mics, my only exposure to stand-up were, like, the masters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, like, Tiger Woods makes it look real easy. (laughs) Like, you know. And
0: then you pick up a golf club and you're like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah. So I learned more from seeing all the bad comics Ah. than seeing the good comics. Because I would watch, and also as a producer who's used to giving notes on shows, getting notes. Like I have that analytical, like what's working about Mm -hmm. this, what's not. And I was like, okay, he's been on stage for two minutes and hasn't said a joke yet. Okay, she's done. You know, and I started to make mental notes of like what not to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's saying um a lot and ah a lot. You know, whatever it may be. So it was really helpful for that. But after that march, I didn't do another, I didn't get on stage again until like that July Um, I just was like, part of me was like, I did it. And the other part of me was, was I think a little like bummed that I didn't do well Yeah. Yeah. I, I, one of my big faults is if I'm not good at something immediately, I Mm -hmm. lose some passion for it. Mm -hmm. I'm not very good at sticking with something. And you know, they say progress, not perfection. Yeah. And I was, I'm very much my own toughest critic and a perfection person. Um, but then I went back in July and I did one or two more and they got a lit, I got, they got. The second one was actually pretty good, enough that it made me cocky for the <laughs> third one, which is the worst I've ever. To the oh, point that's what it always—that's the way it yeah. always goes, isn't it? But it, but it also that third one was a turning point for me because it was so bad that I remember walking back to my car, getting in my car, looking at myself in the rearview mirror, and saying out loud, "Like what the fuck just happened?" And really? I start, but I started laughing. And that was when I realized, because if you, anyone that says to you, you know, if you you guys do stand up, it's the number one question everybody says to you is, oh, I can never do that. How do you, how -hmm. how do you have the guts to get, because everyone is scared because the the fear is you're going to get up on that stage and no one's going to laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Then you get up on that stage and no one laughs. Yeah. And you go back to your car and you realize the world is still spinning. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody cares right I'm not important enough in their lives that they're all they're giving me another second thought after I after they go oh thank god that guy's over they're Mm -hmm. not thinking about me again yeah so that was a little (laughs) bit of a turning point not that bombing ever feels good and not that I haven't bombed a million times since then but it was a turning point in that okay I survived my first like Bomb, bomb, bomb. Yeah. Oh, that feeling. Um, I
2: had. I just had one where I don't even know why, but for no reason, my I wasn't even particularly anxious, but my hand was shaking, and I felt like then I was thinking about my hand shaking, and I'm like, oh, what a loser, blah blah. blah. And then when I got off stage, it, same thing, where I felt like the whole world was going to be like, excuse me, we have a girl whose hand was shaking, and then no one cared. <laughs> no and one My cares. friend was like, oh yeah, I could tell your hand was shaking. But We're who cares? not that but, important. Yeah. I was yeah, just gonna exactly. say
0: most people are more worried about themselves than they yeah. are about you at all. Yeah. And that's the thing is like when you, it's the same thing. With like weight or the way that we Look things like yeah, that it's like we're yeah. so concerned It's like oh I look like a monster or something. Nobody gives a fuck exactly no, Not I, one person gives a totally. fuck. totally
2: and I think It's cool if people get up there and even If you have a nervous response or whatever I think it's So cool to watch someone do something when they are nervous Rather than just being like I well can never it's do like
1: it, it, it has for me it has that Same buzz as live TV and that Yeah it's, there's no taking it back And That chemistry of those people in that room at that moment will never be the same. Yeah. Again, yeah. You know, um, but what I realized about it too, creatively, to get back to the second part of your question, I know I'm taking forever. No, we no, love no, it. No, no. We love question it. Question is, um, I loved the directness of it. You mm-hmm. know, when in my in my TV life, um, I'm coming up with ideas or or. You know the great development team we have at our company is coming up with ideas or we're being pitched ideas and then we're helping formulate them and then we're pitching them to networks and they say yes or no. And then you're doing, but you know, it's this whole process. And by the time it gets, if it gets to the screen, you know, it could be a year later, six months later. And then by the time you shoot it and the time it gets edited and the time it airs, who even knows? (laughs) So suddenly having something in my life that I could, Think of something, go mm-hmm. on stage and say it without any other interference. Yeah. And because I've, you know, I've produced shows where tons of people have given notes and made the show better. And I've produced shows that have been destroyed by bullshit network yep. notes. I can and, and it almost.
0: Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean no, to. No, no, yeah. it's
1: okay. And it's, so the point of going up on stage, and if it's awesome it's solely because of me. Yeah. And if it sucks, it's solely because yeah. of me. Yeah. You know, I did, um, I have a, a, a friend, a comic in New York, a great comic. You guys um, um, should check out. Sounds, sounds like it. they're very close and, to uh, you. And uh, <laughs> it's, his name's Eric Newman and he's a great, he's a great headliner, a New York comic and he performs at the Cellar all the time in tours. And I, um, I featured for him a bunch of times in New York. Um, and one of the times I featured for him at the New York uh, Comedy Club um, all my New York, uh, TV connections came out to support, which was really, really nice. It's awesome. Um, and, uh, so I went on, I did like 25 minutes, whatever. And then I I went to the, went to the bar while Eric did his 45 or whatever he did. And I was at the bar and then Eric finishes and, um, you know, the audience lets out and one of the heads of the network that came to see me, I won't I won't embarrass Mm -hmm. her, but she came up to me at the bar and she said, great job. Had a lot of nice things to say. And then she said, you know, I had a thought and I went, wait a minute. Are you about to give me notes Notes? (gasps) on the set? I just did. (laughs) And she went, well, I just had a thought. And I went, fuck you. Yeah. Let me buy you a drink. Yeah. I do that because I don't want your notes. Right.
2: Yeah, yes, yeah.
1: And she and she laughed and she was like, "No, you're right, you're right, you're right." And uh-huh. she tells the story to this day too. She, she but that to me crystallized like, "No, this is why I do it." Yeah. Yeah. I I I care whether you like it or not, but I don't care to hear your thoughts on how it can be improved. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. There
0: there's a fine line there because there've been definitely times where I'm like that didn't really work, and I feel but like it's I different could give, if a
1: comedian is like, "Hey, can I give you a tag?" That's what I was just going to say. Yep. But it's it's it's, and maybe it's because maybe I I, brought my own baggage into the conversation because she gives me notes on one of our <laughs> ongoing series like every week. Yeah. You know, that I was just like, no, 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 no.
0: no. I think that would drive me crazy. To just back in your. I know that's part of the job, but like having to get notes when you have a creative idea, right?
1: Well, it's funny. My daughter is, uh, my oldest daughter is in college right now and she's starting to be an editor. And it's great because like I said, when I was in school, like there's no commerce attached to it. She's purely like learning for Mm -hmm. the joy of it. And, and she's actually, I know I sound, jaded, but I'm actually probably the toughest critic mm-hmm. because I do this for a living. And I'm not one of those people that just thinks everything one of my kids does is like puppies and rainbows. <laughs> but sure. she's actually pretty fucking good. Um, and, but I know her and I know how passionate and how stubborn she can be because she's my kid. Yeah. And I remember saying to her, she's like, I think I'm really taking to this. And I said, <laughs> you know what your challenge is going to be your challenge is is not going to be whether you can creatively do the work because I can tell you have an eye for it and you have the timing of it. Your challenge is going to be when you work for six weeks on something and then an asshole like me comes in uh-huh. yeah. and goes, I don't like it. Change this, this, and this. Yeah, yeah. that's what And you
0: don't have a choice. You got to change it because that's, that's if the it's job. A, if
1: it's a good executive or a good producer and you know, I want the feedback of the, of the editor, but in the end it's going to be my decision, right? Um, and there are times when they've explained something, I go, no, you're right. You know, I try to take the best idea in the room, but in the end, someone needs to make a decision. Right. And, and that's why, you know, the, the editors that I love to work with the best and that I keep hiring over and over are passionate and are really, really talented, but they're not too precious. Uh If, if you're, if you, if, if you're an editor or anybody in a creative field that answers to someone and you. Push back too much. You're no matter how good you are, you're not going to keep being hired. Because yeah. I, I don't want it to be a fight every time. Right. I ask Meryl to make a change in this edit every right. single time. She she rolls her eyes. She huffs. Him, I'm not right. going to. So, I'm yeah. not going to hire her. Why? You know? Why? Yeah. Why would I want to? Why would I want to deal with that when I can? You get know. Somebody now else? I don't want someone to just smile and kiss my ass. Also, right. but mm-hmm. I don't mind a respectful like. Well, I did it this way because of this, this, this. And there are times I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Or there are even times when it's like, it's not that big of a deal. Like. Yeah totally Fine fine. It's what my change Is not gonna make or break The whatever Yeah Then there are other times When it's like That was the wrong direction You know And I get it I could not I could not work in a dark room By myself for Six weeks And then have somebody Like me come in And be like change, Do all this I, I would Yeah I would mouth off and get fired, and I wouldn't. Get, <laughs> and someone wouldn't work with me. We
2: always talk about this, though. Was, we're both freelancers, and I always think about like the end game of stuff. And I'll have a client that will write to me and say, "That's wonderful. Can you make it sound a little bit juicier?" Or, and of course, we don't. I could spend my time being like, "What exactly does that mean?" Or this is my fourth time, but then I just am like, "Okay, it will save me 15 minutes if I just do it and then yeah have it come out." And it's just I always think about like how can I save time and energy and like yeah continue on my well. Path lots then. of
1: times too, when you're taking notes, it's like. What's the spirit of the note? Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it doesn't net like hearing someone and going, OK, do they really mean painted green? Like, do they want it green or do they just mean it feels kind of blah and they want it to feel more exciting? Yeah. You know, and it's if you address the spirit of it, usually the person giving a note goes, OK, you know,
0: the thing that I do and, and I do a different type of freelance than I think you do, mm-hmm. well, I'm doing branding and identity packages and things like that, or or artwork for apparel things like that Mm -hmm. i try to think of every possible way and this is my crazy brain that they could not like it and then i try to solve that problem before i even present it yeah because that way i can sort of present it with it and this is something i am sort of obsessed with is wow, they thought of everything. I always right. want to be the guy that's like, wow, they thought of everything. Yeah. When I present you an idea or a concept, I'm telling you why I made every choice that I did right? and why that makes sense. And usually, if you can do that in an endearing way and you yeah. can engage with that person, they're like, I don't even have thoughts. Right. I just, 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 yes, sell me that. Like, yeah, thing. no, it's, it's, that's a good... But I think it must be so hard because you can't do that as an editor. You're being given this project yeah. and you have to clean it up mm-hmm. and do the thing. And it's like someone else's vision. So you've got two people. It's, it's also, easy as a comedian being up there and be like, I'm gonna change this joke. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. And I like and I love the instant feedback too. Yeah. And it's you know, while yes, there's good rooms and there's bad rooms and an audience can just have a bad vibe or it's not it's usually you know, I'm of the school that if the audience didn't laugh, the comedian didn't do their job. I agree with you. You know, I I can't remember maybe once or twice ever have I come off on stage and blamed it on the audience. Yeah. Because 90% of the time, if I go up and I bomb, my first reaction, I don't speak it, but in my head I'm going, this audience sucks. And then 90% of the time... Somebody comes up after me yeah. and murders. Oh. And yeah. I go, see, it wasn't them. Yeah. It was me. Yeah, That person spoke to them more or that person made an adjustment and right. got through to them. I didn't get through to them. And then I try to take it as like a, okay, what can I learn from I this? just
0: thought about that the other day. I was thinking of, um, I mentioned we had a guy on uh, our podcast who opened for Joe Coy. And I was like thinking about Joe Coy because I'm like, you know, he's, Traditionally, a Filipino comedian, right? And he does a lot of work, and he's got a huge audience in the Filipino community. And I was like, I wonder how that translates when he goes to, you know, Louisville, Kentucky, Mm. where there isn't an enormous audience of Filipino. He's still probably popular there. He just knows how to change his act to be a little bit more engaging to that audience.
1: Well, yeah, and it's also even though he's talking about his filipino mom or whatever he's he's still talking about some universal themes sure the accent he may do in his act outs yeah. is particular but everyone's had the aversion of either the tiger mom or the yeah. you know the out of touch mom or the you know so Jewish helicopter mom the jewish helicopter, the mom, jewish helicopter mom exactly every you know my i'm jewish my wife's italian Oh man, Uh, lots of expression. Yeah, yeah. it's virtually it's virtually identical. There's subtle differences. How are you still married? That seems like an intense. Well, you know what it is, and this is an old street joke. This is not my joke. This is like a Henny Youngman joke. But you know the difference between an Italian mom and a Jewish mom is the Italian mom will uh, say, "If you do that again, I'm going to stick your head in the oven." Oh. And a Jewish mom will say, "If you do that again, I'm going to stick my head in the oven." <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it's the same paranoia, and it's the same neuroticism. I wish that
0: was, wish that was your joke. Yeah, I'm I sorry, I gave
1: it such a enough hardy time laugh. has passed. You can do it. Yeah, But but it's but it's true. It's mm-hmm. true. It's like it, everything up until how it manifests itself is the same. You know. Yeah. So many cultures are so so similar. Sure, sure. You know, but but Joe also didn't he kind of found his niche cuz i i did a few little he wouldn't remember me at all. I did a few little projects with him and tried to get him on some projects when he was like first starting out. Yeah. And he hadn't really leaned into that, but he found his voice and he yeah. found and it's clearly working for him and he's a funny guy. And he's
2: dating <laughs> Chelsea? Yeah,
1: well,
0: sorry. I know. I was just trying to bring it back full circle.
1: <laughs>
2: and we, before we let you go cuz yeah. thank you for spending your time with us. I have a in the weeds question that I want to ask you sure. is that now with shows like the bachelor and everything, I think it's getting increasingly harder for them to not have it spoiled because now the stars on it have like Instagram and social media and, you know, now it's like they're seen by accident. I think one got spoiled because someone posted on their Insta story. Mm -hmm. And so we saw who they ended up with. Is that something that you guys are dealing with as you produce a lot of reality shows? Yeah. How do you maneuver that?
1: You can only control what you can control, you know, for the, for the show, we do marriage bootcamp. You know, we have in-depth conversations with the cast saying, look, we just finished shooting this. Well, first of all, we take their phones most of the time when it's in the really? Most of the time. And but we also tell them like, because in, in the past we had someone post a picture of themselves and not even say where they are. Mm-hmm. And fans were like, I know that painting. That's uh-huh. the marriage boot camp house. And they, you know, so what we usually, t- what I try to do is I try to speak to them practically. Because if you just say, please don't do this. They don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. What I say is, look, the, it's not gonna be announced that you're on this show for six months. If you're gonna post something now, you're gonna get 500 likes and you're gonna be done. If you don't post anything, the network is gonna get an exclusive with Us Weekly oh. and, you're gonna, and it's gonna be huger and you'll get 20,000 likes. Oh, so it's yeah. in your best interest to wait. If you do it now, Us Weekly is going to it. Yeah. going to say it's not an exclusive. She tweeted about that six months ago. We yeah. don't care. Oh. On the flip side, you know, we do a show with Mama June, and Mama June is constantly broadcasting her life on social media, mm-hmm. and, we're, and I'm, we're constantly like, just stop. Like, just <laughs> yeah. Do you what? Can you save something for the show, or like, you know, or people are going to take that wrong, or yeah. Now when the show comes out. People don't know the timeline, so they're going to think that we made something up because it contradicts that, not knowing that you uh, wrote that four months before, you know, so mm-hmm. it's a, it's a pain in the butt.
2: Interesting. i I'm huh. seeing more and more even like TikTok stars then try to do reality shows, but it's crazy to watch because we already see so much of their life in real time anyway, you know?
1: Yeah, it's there, it's, well, o- overexposure is easy now,
2: mm-hmm. you know? Hmm. That's so interesting
0: You're awesome Thanks
1: for I spending time us I know you're so cool you. tell, you uh, tell our people Where they can find you What yeah. projects you're looking for Sure um, You can find me On social media On uh, Twitter and Instagram I'm at Mr. Adam Freeman um, My Facebook comedy page Is uh, Adam Freeman Comedy um, I now am uh, doing a monthly show Here in Calabasas Called Subculture Comedy You can look up Subculture Comedy uh, On Instagram and then I don't know when you're putting this out or when this is probably honestly, next week. Oh, okay. This is well, live. we did not tell you this is live. Marriage bootcamp is on we TV right now. Okay. Watch that season 16. And, um, yeah, you know, I got a lot of irons in the fire. So. I know you're a That's busy awesome.
2: man. You're
0: awesome. Thanks for spending time with Thank us. Thank you for
1: Thank having you. me. I appreciate
2: it. say wow because he knows i'm wowed by him yeah
0: yeah you but always say wow cool no he's awesome
2: i always find too i don't know if you're you find this with people but he's a very busy man has a lot of stuff going on sure also is a family man sure and he couldn't have been more like calm and in the moment with us yeah absolutely and not distracted whereas absolutely. you and i are always very distracted
0: and honest yeah. i really like that about yeah. him yeah uh, he he seemed very cool, very helpful. I think if I saw him on the street, I'd be like hey, and we would you know say hi to each other and go eat I a Sugar so. Sugarfish. And, and then, <gasps> oh and my then, god, Sugarfish is right
2: near him too. I, I know, I'm joking. Oh my god. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm go to his monthly comedy nights in Calabasas. If anyone wants to join me, <laughs> God.
0: <laughs> Adam was great. It was so much fun. Uh, thank you guys for listening and spending time with us. Until next time,
2: be safe. <laughs> Bye.
1: This episode of Campfire Shit Show was produced by Bo Hufford and Merrill Climo. It was edited by Bo Hufford, and the theme song was composed and sang by your friendly camp director, me, PB and J. If you've got a question or you want to be the next camper of the week, email us at campfireshitshow at gmail.com. Say hi to Bo and Merrill on Instagram at Campfire Shit Show and please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Well kids, it's time to pack up the camp and put out the fire. But don't you worry, we'll see you soon on another episode of the Campfire Shit Show.